2. Please open your Bibles at Psalm 90. And uh, of course, I remind you that there's an outline available in the resource section on the website. Now, Psalm 90 is probably the oldest psalm in the Psalter. It's the only psalm to be attributed to Moses. And it's the beginning of the fourth section of the Psalms, which includes Psalm 90 right through to 106. And we're going to study a number of these Psalms over the coming weeks, one by one. The Psalms, of course, are powerful. They examine us and they guide us in our Christian experience. How should we respond to all the different circumstances that we meet in life? I mean, how do we respond to our misery and to our heartache? How do we respond when we need help, security, shelter? How do we react to danger? How are we supposed to worship? How are we supposed to deal with our sins and our idols? Well, if you're interested in any of those questions, these issues will be dealt with in the Psalms that we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks. For for example, Psalm 90, the one we're looking at today, we will see that God is our home, our dwelling place, our refuge and shelter. He doesn't just provide our home, He is our home. Psalm 91 will teach us about dealing with danger. Do you feel that you're surrounded with danger? Well, the answer is wrapped up in trusting in the providential care and the sovereignty of God. Psalm 92 is about where our delight should be, not in the world, but in the Lord, and how we ought to worship Him accordingly. Psalm 93, we will learn how to look at our world and all that's happening in it. Who's really in control? So there's going to be lots and lots of learning and lessons about normal Christian living in the next couple of weeks. May God really bless us. So today it's Psalm 90, and I hope you have that open before you. Today, if you're sad, lonely, worried, sick, or lack hope, well, I've got good news for you. Psalm 90 is just for you. However, if you're content with your life, if you're comfortable, perhaps even in your sin, or if you're distracted by all the success in your life, well, I've got good news for you too. Psalm 90 is just for you as well. So what's the background to the psalm? Well, we're not 100% sure. Many believe that it's Numbers 20. And three significant events occur in that chapter. First of all, there's the death of Miriam, the sister of Moses. And secondly, there's the sin of Moses that caused him to be kept out of the promised land. And then thirdly, there was the death of Aaron, the brother of Moses. So there's a shocking series of sad events. It, it, it was a time of great change and reflection for Moses. And in the three sections in the psalm, we see how Moses thinks. He thinks about our home in verses 1 to 6, and then about our sin in verses 7 to 11, and then our answer in verses 12 to 17. So first of all, let's think about our home. And again, those verses 1 to 6 are split into two. Verses 1 and 2, God is our home. The Lord is our dwelling place. Verses 3 to 6, the world is not our home. 
We also read in, in Numbers 12, verse 8, that Moses talked with God face to face. Moses knew God intimately. So there's no surprise that he would speak of God being our dwelling place, our eternal dwelling place, our eternal home, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. With all that was happening to him, Moses was so aware that life is uncertain. His brother and his sister have both died. He's so aware that riches provide no real security and that the world offers no permanence. And yet he's also 100% sure that God existed and that God was real. In fact, God was his home. See, God is his people's refuge, a place of belonging and safety. The world is passing by. The world is transient, but God unchanging and unchangeable, is eternal, and he is our home. He is our dwelling place. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, can you imagine how comforting this truth was to Moses? I remind you again, his sister dies. His impetuous sin denies him the opportunity to enter the promised land. And then his brother dies. His world is changing rapidly. His world is painful and disappointing. And yet, he sees that his home is the Lord. And this truth centers his faith in his crazy world with all that was happening. And if we want to cope and survive in our crazy, fallen, broken world, we need to learn this lesson. God is our home. The world is not our home. And now Moses has been living as an alien, a stranger in a foreign land for about 40 years now, a nomad. In fact, he's a leader of a nomadic people. But it seems that the spiritual reality of this truth now dawned on him in a fresh way. Even the promised land is not my home, my dwelling place, he seems to be saying here. Even Canaan, promised to God's people, that's not my home. It's not our home, he says. God alone is my home, my refuge, my city, the place where I belong. Now, note that it is not that God provides a home or dwelling place, although Jesus promises that in John 14. It's not that God provides a home. He is our home, our dwelling place. I mean, what a truth to learn. Oh, please, God, teach us this truth. Because the world will disappoint us. I wonder if you've learned that lesson yet. See, the world will tease you with false promises. The world will seduce you with 
empty claims. The world will entice you with phony answers. But it will disappoint you. It will leave you empty. Why? Because for God's people, this is not our home. This is not our dwelling place. He is our dwelling place. He is our home. So God is our home, verses 1 and 2. But secondly, in this first point, notice that the world is not our home, verses 3 to 6. Let's read these verses again. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. Yeah, we're only passing through. Moses says we're like the the grass that is here today and gone tomorrow. We're told that in the arid climate of Israel, a nightfall of rain will often cause a carpet of green grass to spring up in the morning out of the uh, otherwise brown hills. But the blazing daytime sun will soon scorch that fresh grass by nightfall. Isn't that what Moses is saying there, verses 5 and 6? You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it is dry and withered. Moses is saying that our lives here on earth, physical life, it's just like grass here today and gone tomorrow. But he is eternal. We are mortal. It says, in fact, he says in verse 3, we're like a living dust. From dust we were made, and to dust we will go. Verse 3, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. Verse 5, you sweep men away in the sleep of death. Now, the harsh reality is that we may think we are important. We may even think that we are significant in this world. But the truth is, very soon, we will be forgotten. Now, we might like to think that a few people will keep a photograph or two of us somewhere, and uh, somebody might have a, a video of us in a cupboard hidden away. But I wonder how many years it will be before we're just a name. Certainly, 150 years' time, probably a lot less, maybe even 50 years' time, we will just be a name. You see, this is not our home. Now, Moses is not trying to depress us. Neither am I. I hope you don't feel depressed. But the Word of God and this psalm is trying to get us to live with perspective. This is not our home. He is. So the, the big picture is, don't live for the moment. Focus on the eternal. Remember where your real home is. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. So Moses is contrasting the eternal nature of God and the brevity of life. So be encouraged today. Be comforted because you have been given a big clue 
to a big secret of life. And it's this. If what you hope in dies when you die, if what you hope in disappears with COVID-19, if what you hope in is left behind when your time on earth is gone, you have no lasting hope. However, if you hope in God, who is eternal, then you have a hope that will outlive your physical life because he is our eternal home. Our hope is in him, and that hope is real. Our hope in him can last. So stay home. Keep safe. And remember where your home is. Your home is the Lord, our dwelling place through all generations. Our home, first of all. Secondly, our sin, verses 7 to 11. And again, Moses is very clear here. He says, our sin is offensive to God. Now, probably Moses reflects on his own sinful nature. And if, if Numbers 20 is the context, then Moses would have been very aware of his own sin when he writes these words. If you know the, the story of Numbers 20, you know that people were complaining about a lack of water. God promised that he would supply water from a particular rock. Moses struck that rock with a staff and said, must we bring water from this rock? Must we bring water from this rock? You see, in his frustration with the people, Moses took at least some of the credit, some of the glory from God. And for that sin, for that sin, he would not enter the promised land. Verse 7, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our days with the moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. You see, our big problem actually is not suffering or dying. Our big problem is not COVID-19 or recession or lockdown. What we need to discover is that our real big problem is our sin. See, we do things every day worse than the glory stealing of Moses. We need salvation. We need rescue. We need a savior. So let's be clear about this. I mean, why is the world suffering today? The world is suffering today because we're living in a fallen, broken world. Why is our world broken and fallen? Because of sin. See, scripture connects suffering and death on one hand to sin, and even here in Psalm 90, the link is very clear. Verse 7 and 8, our sin is exposed. Verse 9 and 10, our dying is described. We're not very good at seeing this, are we, in this modern generation? I'm told that our forefathers would have asked different questions to the questions that we might ask. 
modern man, for instance, asks, what about my suffering? What about our suffering? Our forefathers would have asked questions like, what about my sin? What about our sin? Today we ask, what about my comfort, our comfort? Our forefathers would have asked questions like, what about his glory, his honor? Today we would ask questions, what about my financial security? What about our financial security? A previous generation would have asked, what about our heavenly security? See, in a fallen world, broken and suffering, don't get used to sin. Don't get used to sin. It cannot satisfy. At verse 9 to 11, Moses points out that life is hard. And again, he's not trying to be negative. He's being realistic. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Right, let's be honest, life is not easy. Sometimes it's a real struggle. Sometimes it even seems meaningless. Jobs can be boring. Relationships are hard to find and hard to keep. Faith is tested. Health can decline. The list goes on and on. And to one degree or other, all of these things are the ongoing effects of sin. So our home is the Lord, not the world. And our sin is our real problem. This is what Psalm 90 is telling us. But thirdly, our answer. And we've got some very, very good positive lessons to learn uh, from this section, verse 12, right through to verse 17. Let's read these verses again. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In this section, Moses turns to God in prayer, a prayer for ongoing grace. And we have a number of things, um, six in all to highlight, and we'll go through them briefly. First of all, teach us to number our days, verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, Moses is not asking for some kind of special calculator to figure out our anticipated lifespan. That's not what he's thinking of here at all. He's asking God to help him remember that life is short and to make the most of the days that he actually has. It's a very important prayer to value and to realize the brevity of life because we can have our heads turned by money, by power, by love, by people. And we could never do verse 12 by ourselves, not in a million years, to number our days aright and to be wise. <laughs> no, we need his help. You see, in the few fleeting years of life, what are we tempted to do? 
We're tempted to try and cram in so much to have our calendars and you know, full to the brim, to overcommit, to run on empty, to waste time on worthless things and to ignore important things. And so we need perspective and we need wisdom. And I, for one, am short in both of these things. Please, God, this is my need. Give me your perspective, your wisdom, because that's the answer. And that's the answer I think we all need. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Secondly, compassion in verse 13. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Yes, we get ourselves into a right royal mess because of our arrogant sin. With a a mighty dose of humility, we need to say, God, we deserve it, all of it. We deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. Yes, we deserve hell. But in your compassion, return to us. Relent and restore us. Forgive us. And in your mercy, come to us and make us new. That's our answer, you see. To teach our day, or to teach us to number our days and to have his compassion. Then, thirdly, his satisfaction, verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. See, Moses asked God to help him find satisfaction in his great love, his great love. Do you find that you're restless in life? Do you feel like you're on a treadmill, but you're going nowhere? Do do you feel that you're surrounded by stuff and lots of it, but you still feel empty? Well, my friend, you're, you're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Work, people, pastimes, possessions. They cannot satisfy you. Only he can satisfy you. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. That's our answer, isn't it? Then gladness in verse 15. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, as many years as we have seen trouble. Is this not a prayer to the Lord to restore the years that the locusts have eaten? So we have a balance between the sorrows of life with the deep joy and happiness that he alone can bring. See, that's our answer. And then he asks fifthly that God might reveal his splendor to to everyone. Verse 16, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. I think Moses is saying, despite all the trouble and the pain and the sorrow I have been through, let me and let the whole world see your glory. Isn't that the prayer here in verse 16? Particularly, he says, may our children see your splendor. May our children see evidence of your working. And Parents, grandparents, we need to teach our children to see him, to see his glory and his splendor, to see that his kingdom will come, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And part of the splendor, the deeds of the Lord that we're asking to be revealed is that Souls will be saved, that the church will be built, 
that Christians will mature. So reveal your splendor. That's the prayer. That's our need. And then lastly, use us, verse 17. May the favor of of the Lord our God rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Don't allow us to do meaningless things. Make our work matter. Use us. Use our service. Help us to do something of eternal significance. Help us to do meaningful work. Work that matters. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. By taking all these things together, these six prayers, I think we can make a few concluding points. First of all, live with eternity in mind. Do you know you have been given so many gifts and a fair amount of time and God expects you to use these things with eternity in mind. They weren't given to you for your comfort, but for his glory. Don't waste your life. Secondly, work for what will last, not for what will pass. It's often said that there's only two things that will survive the judgment of God. His word and his people. Everything else is going to be burned up. And yet so often, we value, we invest in, we desire the things that will pass rather than investing in and valuing and desiring the things that will survive that last day. We must value and invest in and desire the things that will last rather than the things that will pass. And thirdly, don't waste your life on sin. It never pays. It never rewards. It never blesses. In Galatians 6, we have the law of sowing and reaping. What a man sows, he reaps. And therefore, we should not be deceived. Lord, you've been our dwelling place through all generations. All week, I felt drawn to one of Paul's favorite expressions to describe a Christian to be in Christ. And it's used over 70 times in the New Testament. In Christ. In our Savior. In our home. In our dwelling place. You see, when we're saved, we are given a host of spiritual blessings. And all of them come from Christ. And all of them are given in Christ. Not religion, not morality, not vague belief, but all from Christ. All in Christ, our dwelling place. So are you in Christ? Are you in grace? And are you in your home? You see, our home is Jesus. Our our Savior is Jesus. Our security is Jesus. So stay home in him and be safe in him. May God bless you as you live out the realities of Psalm 90 this week. Let me pray. Father, we indeed thank you that our home is Jesus. Our dwelling place is Jesus. Our Savior 
is Jesus. Our security is Jesus. This week and every week, help us to stay home in him and be safe in him and be productive in him for your great glory.